Good morning. Well, it's been a fun weekend, and it's coming to a close. But before we go, I want to give you one more encouragement from God's Word. Um, before I read the scripture, I just want to say how much I love and appreciate this congregation. I'm excited for what God is doing in your midst and for what's ahead of you. And I'm confident that he's going to do things that you couldn't even conceive of, that he's going to work through you, that he is going to bring people into his kingdom through your life together, that Silicon Valley is going to be a different place because you're in that mix. So our scripture reading for this morning comes from the book of Philippians chapter 4. We're going to begin reading with verse 10 and read through verse 23. Philippians chapter 4 verse 10 is where I will begin reading. This is God's word. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. If you would, please join me in prayer. Lord, we are thankful for your powerful workings through your word, all through the history of your church. And Lord, we come expectantly this morning asking that we would hear from you, that your spirit would go out with your word and accomplish what you send your word for. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to be expository listeners, to creatively think through what the word might mean for our lives individually and our lives together. And we pray that we would Leave this place as different people, shaped by your word, encouraged by your word, humbled by your word, transformed by your word, and ultimately redeemed by your word. So hear these prayers and bless these, your people now. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. American cities are changing. And if you wander through any American city, one of the things that you will notice is there is a lot of construction work going on. That's the case in Washington, D.C. I'm starting to think that the national bird is the crane. (laughs) 
because there's so much construction going on. And, you know, here's what's interesting. When, when, a, when a developer sets their heart on a piece of land, they buy that land and then they, they have plans for that, for that land. And they come up with all these vision pieces and then they have their drawings that are drawn up and they, they can give a picture of, of that final vision that they have for this, this piece of land that they have purchased. And then they assemble their workers and, and they begin to work out the plan. But here's what's interesting. The workers are joining into this vision and it's the, the developer's responsibility to provide for the construction needs. It's not the workers who have to, have to come up with the drywall. The developer provides the drywall for the workers. The developer provides the schematics for that building and its proper construction. Uh, it is the developer who provides the machinery and the tools that the workers are going to need for the job. And ultimately, really all the workers have to do is just show up and get to work with what the developer has given them. Now, the Lord has set his heart on this world. And he has paid a great cost to make this world his own once again. And he is drawing up his designs. He has a design for this world. He's given us a vision of what he wants for this world. We see it in the, the end of the story in the book of Revelation. We see the blueprint. We see the schematic. And he has gathered a family of believers in order to participate as workers in developing this building project. And here's the thing. It's not the job of the workers to provide the resources for the work. It's the Lord's job. He does that provision. <laughs> it's the Lord who provides the tools and the equipping that we need to participate in the work fruitfully. And, and I think that you could conceive of the whole of the Christian life as simply joining with the Lord, participating with the Lord in his mission, in his great building project. And we don't have to fret about all the things that might be necessary for this building project because it's the Lord who provides all of those things. You could say that our responsibility is basically boiled down to showing up and putting in the work. I want to end our time together on a hopeful note. A hopeful note that must attend our work of mission, and it's this. The hopeful note that it is the Lord who will supply all of our needs for the work of mission. It's the Lord who will provide what we need to participate in this work of mission. And so I want to talk about two points this morning. I want to talk about contentment in Jesus, and I want to talk about commitment in mission. So let's look at our first point. And our first point is drawn from verses 10 through 14, if you're looking at the text. I think it's really important. You know, your pastors, they labor in the scriptures so that they're not just bringing their own arbitrary opinions. They wrestle with the text to try and understand and discern what God is saying in his word. And our hope as preachers is that you will be able to connect the ideas that we speak from the front to the actual text of scripture so that you can have confidence that the ideas that you're embracing, the frameworks that you're embracing are actually coming from God's word. So that's why it's important that we're always interfacing with the text as we listen to the preaching of the word. So this first point is drawn from verses 10 through 14. 
Now, as Paul closes out his letter to the Philippians, he wants to thank them once again for their generous partnership with him in the work of mission. They, they have on multiple occasions given to relieve Paul's needs and to participate with him in the work of mission. They had these overflowing hearts of abundance as a result of giving themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to Paul and his ministry associates. They had connected so deeply with the grace of God and Jesus Christ that they just desired to give and give and give. But Paul wants them to know something else too. That he, even though it was good of them, he says in the text, the word is kalos, which is, means it's right, it's good, it's appropriate. Even though it was appropriate for them to partner with him in the relief of the poor in Jerusalem, Paul wants them to know that he does not operate out of a paradigm of entitlement. He doesn't operate out of a paradigm of entitlement, though he is thankful for their financial gifts. He wants them to know that he has embraced the cost of mission. Because when you're living on God's mission, there are always costs to mission. And those costs are deeply shaped by the place in which you do mission, the mission field in which you serve. Now, there are costs to doing mission in Silicon Valley, aren't there? You could live in a less expensive place, and you could have a much bigger house for a much more affordable price tag, I hear. But this is a cost of mission. God has called you to mission in Silicon Valley, and this is a cost of mission. You might be able to find a place that fits your sensibilities a little bit better. Whether you grew up rural or suburban, you might have a place that suits your sensibilities better than Silicon Valley. But the Lord has called you to mission in Silicon Valley, and this is a cost of mission. Depending on where your mission field is, you might, you might be able to find a place where there's, where there's less crime and better amenities. But if that's what your place is, that's a, it's a cost of mission, and God has called you to that mission. But what Paul is saying here in this text is that he has learned to take the highs and the lows of missional living with grace. And he has learned to be content no matter what comes to him as a result of living faithfully on the mission. And how has he done this? Verse 13 tells us, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, this is an often abused and misunderstood verse. I saw a t-shirt one time that said, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context, right? <laughs> That's fired. <laughs> I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Sometimes people get tripped up on this. This does not mean that you can jump over a building through Christ who strengthens you. <laughs> this, does, this does not mean that if you are a professional athlete, you can shoot 100% from the field through Christ who strengthens you. That is not what this means. What Paul is talking about specifically in context, if you look at the text... He says, I've learned, I've learned how to go without in the pursuit of mission. Sometimes mission brings you into tight times. Sometimes mission leaves you feeling financially vulnerable. 
Sometimes mission puts you in a situation where your peers are living much better than you are by worldly standards. And Paul says, I've learned how to go without. But Paul also says, I've learned how to abound. Which is to say, Paul knew how to have resources without resources having him. He knew how to have resources without placing his trust in those resources and still trusting in the Lord. He knew how to abound as well. There is grace that is required to go without physical and material resources. And there is grace that is required to go with them. Because it is true what Jesus said, that money is one of those strongest competing gods. And idolatry is just just around the corner, especially in our Western American context. But you know what? Sometimes I think that we take too tame of a view of idolatry. Specifically, the idol of mammon, the god of material resources, right? But I want you to think about the starkness of idolatry in all of its forms. When you worship an idol, this is something of the ugliness of it. It's, 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 not, it's not benign. It's malicious, it's, it's something like this. Think about a worship song that you might sing to the Lord and realize that idolatry is effectively doing something like this. Here I am to worship money. Here I am to bow down to other people's approval. Here I am to say that you're my God. Isn't that, oh, it makes my skin crawl to even think about it. That is how, that's how terrible our idolatry is. But here's the thing. Everything in our God should give us the absolute freedom to turn from the worship of money and material goods. They are a delusion. And what God wants to do is make you like himself. That's why he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that God loves a cheerful giver. Why does God love a cheerful giver? Because he is the original cheerful giver who has given joyfully. The text of Hebrews says it's for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. The joy of seeing many sons and daughters come home to glory. That joy sustained the Lord Jesus and the Lord provided for him. We can have confidence that the Lord will provide when we lay ourselves out for the benefit of others. There is one time that the Lord says, test me. And he didn't say it like parents say it to their children, like, test me. <laughs> I will up, right? Or maybe that's just me. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> no, he's saying, come on, test me. See if I won't pour out a blessing that's so abundant that you don't have enough arms to hold it. I got a story to tell you. <laughs> One time when our oldest was a little girl, she was like four or five, very precocious. And I was laying on the couch on my day off and I really didn't want to get up off the couch. So I said, hey, Tiana, I will give you a nickel if you run upstairs and get this item for daddy. And she goes, okay, daddy. And she runs upstairs and she comes down back with the item. And, you know, I, I'm not beyond a little fatherly bribe, okay? So I reach into my pocket. Then I'm like, dang it. I don't have any coins in my pocket. All I had was a, was a $5 bill. I was like, and so she comes back down. 
And she goes, here you go, Daddy. Can I have my nickel? And I said, here you go. And I put a $5 bill in her hand. And she looks at the $5 bill and she goes, but Daddy, I wanted a nickel. I said, little girl, do you know how many nickels are in this $5 bill? Now, a lot of times, this is the way that you and I experience life. We say, Lord, I just want a little bit better of a job. Lord, Lord, I, I, just, I just want to have a, a little bit of a more relationship. You know, I'm just looking for a spouse. And, and, and the Lord gives us things in the gospel. And we say, but I wanted a pay raise. The, look, the Lord is trying to give you much more than you are after. And he can be trusted to provide for all your needs. He, look, you know one of the most elusive things in our culture these days? It's captured in one word. Enough. Enough is always slipping through our fingers. You know, there was a point at which J.D. Rockefeller, his financial resources accounted for like 1.2% of the GDP of the U.S. And this man was asked, how much more would you need in order to be satisfied and to feel safe? And he said, just a little bit more. It's that spirit that God wants to break us of. Because that is the spirit of an orphan. You see, it's, it's very different. The difference between living like an orphan and living like an adopted child of God. Children who have good parents, aren't worried. Have you ever found your children rummaging and scrambling around the house because they're not sure that you're going to provide that meal for them that day? Have you ever seen your kids doing that? Why? Because they are confident in your care. And if you ever see your kids wrapped up with anxiety, what is your earnest desire for them? You don't have anything to worry about. I got you. That's what the Lord is trying to get across to his children. He's saying, you don't have to, you know, take up all these self-protective measures. You don't need to hoard things. You don't, you don't need to selfishly accumulate things out of fear that I will not care for you, that I will not meet those needs. You are free. Give yourself away. Be like me. Get to experience my joy in giving. You know, Jesus was not lying when he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Do you catch what's happening here at the end of a book that's all about working together for the gospel? The final word that Paul gives this community is God will supply your needs. He has extraordinary resources. The Bible says that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He would make Elon Musk look like a pauper. That's what he's saying. He says, all the gold is mine, all the silver is mine. You're worried about my ability to provide for you? You don't have any need to fear. Test me. You know, I deeply believe that one of the most critical factors in in the explosion of a mission, the positive explosion of a mission, in the bursting of a mission is the radical generosity of God's people. The radical generosity of God's people. When we, the, the, the power and the potential in this room, when the grace of God is unleashed in your hearts, 
It tracks with the story of God's church through time. What happened in the church when the people of God heard the gospel and those of means made sure all the needs of their brothers and sisters were met and those who had needs received the grace and lived into relationship with their brothers and sisters across tax brackets, what happened to the church? It blew up. It exploded. They started with 120 members in a room praying. On that very day, 3,000 are added. And then in that following week, thousands more and thousands more are coming to faith. Why? Because they see the love of God in action. They see the love of God in action through the generosity of God's people. But they also see, they see faith in action. You know, there are some people who are they're waiting to see what real freedom looks like. And one of the ways that you can show them what real freedom looks like is through your generosity. How can you be so free to give yourself away, your time, your talent, your resources? How can you be so free to give yourself away? And you can say, I'm glad you asked, right? Like, no, but you can say, well, you know what? I believe there's more to this world than what meets the eye. And I believe that God provides for his people. What do I have to be afraid of? He's made promises to his people. I believe those promises. He's never failed me yet. It's freeing. You ought to try it. It could change your life. Like most people cannot conceive of their lives free from that idol. But you can give them an experience of what that freedom looks like by continuing to lean into this word of the Lord that your God will supply all your needs according to the riches of his glorious grace. You know, Paul, in his missionary plasticity, his missionary flexibility, could deal with whatever living circumstances the mission required. He treated his conflicts as a classroom for learning Christ. He treated his problems as prayer opportunities for communing with Christ, and he treated his sufferings as sources for knowing Christ more deeply. And he's trying to guide his dear friends in Philippi to the place of contentment and perseverance. But ultimately, he wants to drive them toward commitment and mission, which brings us to our final point, commitment and mission. And this is taken from verses 15 through 23. Now, I feel like it's important to say this. I wasn't necessarily planning to say this, but it just occurred to me, uh, and, I, and I wanna say this. Because I've been thinking a lot about this, and, and you know, Pastor DJ and I were up until the wee hours of the morning like he likes to do to me. Um, <laughs> he likes to give me a challenge. Just see how little sleep he can preach on, okay? <clears throat> and we were up last night. We were talking. And one of the things that I realized is your church is double the age of my church. And this year is our 10-year anniversary. And so I've been trying to focus our church on mission. Because here's the thing, and, and I think this is an important word for you all in this season in the life of your church. Because here's the thing. When we come into these seasons, we, when we mark milestones, you know, you're, you're marking your, your 20th year of ministry. Praise God for that. He has been faithful to this congregation. He has been at work through you. That's incredible. And here's what happens, though. There is a life cycle. Like historians, theologians, and sociologists of religion, they, um, they have recognized that there are patterns in the life cycle of churches. Every church begins with a man or a woman and a mission. 
the mission is where they see an opportunity to bring the gospel to people groups that do not yet have a resonant gospel witness. And when that mission begins to connect with other people and more and more people see the vision and they, they, they lock in with the mission, then the mission becomes a movement. And the movement is when the mission is at its peak. It's when it's, it's flourishing and it's vibrant and there's a sustained focus and there's fruit that's being seen. But when a, a, a mission becomes a movement, this is the very point at which that movement becomes vulnerable. Because as time goes on, if the mission is not carefully tended and the mission starts to create lots of resources and, and you know, milestones are hit like getting a building. There is the temptation for the movement to become a machine in which bureaucracy and structures and the professionalization of ministry all work together to suck the life out of the movement. The people are no longer participants in the work, but they're parts in the machine. That's well-oiled, but moving farther away from the mission with which it began. And if it's an organizationally effective machine that's well-funded over time, the machine becomes a monument. Now, D.C. is filled with monument churches. And monuments are more oriented to past glories than they are to future missions. You hear them talking about, well, back in 1965, we did this event and so-and-so from U.S. Congress showed up to the event. Can you believe that? It's like, wow, that's great. What has God done in the last 70 years besides have someone famous come to your worship service, right? They begin to live out of the past. It becomes a monument. It becomes a tourist destination, right? There are lots of churches in D.C. like that. They are more populated with spectators and visitors than they are with real missionary-oriented Christians. And here's the thing. This institutional spectacle that turns people's attention to the grandeur of the machine itself rather than beyond itself to the Lord, ultimately, if that mission focus is not recovered, the monument becomes a morgue. It's dead. You know, there are, there are countless churches that are bleeding members. And they're basically able to finance their own death for a long time. That's why they stick around. And I've often said to my people, and I think it's important for communities like yours to hear this. When people want to trim off the rough edges of the Christian faith or the, the, the aspects of the Christian faith that are hard for our neighbors to swallow given their positions in the, our sociopolitical uh, day and age, the spirit of the age. When, when people are tempted, like I've had people in my church who are like, man, we should just, we should change on this. Why? We're behind the times. I say to them, if you want to know what Grace Mosaic would look like if we surrendered our convictions from Scripture on the exclusivity of Christ and the certainty of judgment and our historic Christian sexual ethic, you don't have to imagine what we would be like. You can look at any number of churches in our city and see what would become of us. The churches who have surrendered their Christian distinctives are dying and their missions are no longer active 
In fact, they don't even know who they are anymore. They don't know their reason for being. They don't have a real purpose beyond just doing the rigmarole, showing up at church. They don't know why they show up at church. That's just what they do. And it becomes the culturalization of their Christian faith. And the salt has lost its saltiness. That's why it's important that we remember who we are, that we remember whose we are, and that we live into the fullness of his promises and the excitement of his mission, the joy of seeing our friends and neighbors come in to know this saving love that has transformed our lives. That's why you exist. Come on, somebody. I know I'm preaching up here. All right now, it's about to be a revival up in this Presbyterian space. And I want, to, I want to emphasize something to you. That I, oh, I love this. If you look at the text, man, this is so good. Verse 19, Paul says, And my God will supply your every need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And my God will supply. I want you to notice that the text does not say, And my hustle will supply all my needs. You know, Psalm 127 says this, why do you rise early and go to bed late eating the bread of anxious toil? God gives rest to his beloved. I love that. that is in a, that's in a passage that says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. Now, what this is meant to help us see is that all of your hustling and all of your grinding and all of your running, not having any space. Paul doesn't say, and my hustle will supply all my needs, because guess what? There are times where you run out of steam. I can testify in 2015, 2016, I crashed. I'm talking crash and burn. Anxiety wrecked me. And for a whole year, I was battling to try and get back to feeling like I was myself. And that anxiety just broke me. But I was a hustler. I was grinding, right? I was, I was just putting in the work until I crashed. It's not your hustle that supplies all your needs. Notice this. Paul doesn't say, and my money will supply all my needs. Look around. We have never had more answers and been less satisfied. We've never had more material resources as a culture. And yet, look at the mental health crisis, the epidemic. Our national government just put out, put loneliness on the epidemic list. That there is a crisis. People are lonely. There are needs that you have that money cannot address. Paul doesn't say, and my money will supply all my needs. Paul doesn't say, and my degree will supply all my needs. Education and status cannot meet all your needs. There are needs that you have that your fancy education cannot meet. You know what? Lots of people try to find their identity and how many letters they have behind their name. That's not what makes you. 
It's some people find their identity in, the, in their degrees and how smart they are. But I'm telling you something right now. It's possible to get all that education and to simply become a smarter sinner. <laughs> I mean, this was part of Paul, the Apostle Paul's story. When, when he was converted, Saul of Tarsus, he tells us in Philippians 3, he was rising in the ranks. No one had his religious credentials. No one had his level of intensity for the faith. This man was an educated fool. And he shows us, his story shows us that you can know everything about politics and not know the king of kings. You can know everything about medicine and not know the great physician. You can know everything about geology and not know the rock of ages. You can know everything about real estate and not understand your real estate. Your education is not enough. Paul doesn't say, and my degree will supply all my needs. Paul doesn't say, and my connections will supply all my needs. Do you really want your faith to rest upon fellow human beings who share your weaknesses and who are just as selfish, if not more selfish, than you are? You really want to entrust your destiny to your connections. Ah, you know what? I'm not going to worry about it. I have connections. That's the language of self-salvation. I don't need God. I got connections. Have you been around people? <laughs> Paul doesn't say any of these things. What does Paul say? And my God will supply all your needs according to the riches of his glorious grace. Can I give y'all some personal testimony? Yes. All right, I'm going to tell you a few stories. My wife and I have had this constant back and forth. Like, I, I, was form, I was raised in the black church, and I was formed in this spirit of generosity and, like, like just giving, right? And my wife has gone through some very, very difficult things. She had lost her father tragically in a car accident when, when she was only 12 years old. And her family was thrown into financial turmoil, and there's still a lot that she wrestles with. So when it, when it comes to our, our family giving... I'm always like, let's do it. Investors like, ah, oh, I, I love the Lord. I trust the Lord. But like, can we talk about this? I'm like, let's do it, right? Like, and so we were on vacation one time. Uh, we went to Williamsburg, Virginia. Why? I don't know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we go to Williamsburg. It was actually very nice. I loved it. It was great. But we were, you know, our family fun, like one of the things that we do as a family when we go on vacation is we like to just sit back and watch Food Network together and do stuff like that, right? I like to watch Bobby Flay. Um, <laughs> and so, so this, 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 this television commercial comes on, and it's about the, the, the Syrian crisis in, in Aleppo, right? And there's this organization that's, you know, they're telling what's going on over there, and I, I just felt moved to give, and I felt moved to give a very specific amount. I didn't look at our checking account. And I just got on. I was just like, Lord, use this. Bless those folks. Like, get, help them and get help, you know? I gave. I didn't look. I didn't think about anything. <laughs> a little bit later that evening, Vanessa goes, Russ, have you looked at the checking account? I was like, no, what's up? She's like, look at the checking account. And I gave to the penny every dollar we had in our checking account. 
We're on vacation. And I was like, mm. She's like, you care to explain? I was like, see what had happened was, uh, the, the Holy Spirit was working on my heart. And I was, y'all was trying to spiritualize, I was trying to work that thing out. She was like, I was like, look, 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 look. I felt led by the Lord to give. I trust that the Lord is going to meet our next. My phone starts ringing. And I look, I'm like, I don't know this number. I don't usually answer the phone if I don't know the number, especially when it sounds like it's a bill collector and it's an 800 number. <laughs> but I was like, let me answer this number. While we're mid-conversation about this, I go, hello? And I hear this person, is this, is this Russell Whitfield? It's like, this is he. Uh, hello, Mr. Whitfield. This is so-and-so from Verizon Wireless. How are you today? I'm like, I'm fine. I'm with y'all want. <laughs> and she's like, Mr. Whitfield, it seems like we've discovered an error with your account. And I was like, what kind of error? She's like, it seems like we've been overcharging you for the last seven years, and we're, re we're sending a reimbursement check to you right now. I was like, do tell. <laughs> Y'all, that day, into our checking account was five times what I gave. I looked at Vanessa, I said, don't tell me what my God won't do. <laughs> Let's go, Jesus. Yes, I was fired up. That's one story. I was like, my God will supply, yes. Next story. 2019, our kids' health goes off the rails. We're paying all the money we got out of pocket to try and meet their, their health needs. All four of our kids have this condition that requires all of this treatment. And it was, we were stressed financially. And when this finally like really took off, we had to go to the specialist. I'm nervous because I don't know, like this, this is going to be out of pocket. I don't know where the money's coming from. And we sit down with this specialist and he's like, yeah, well, you know, this, this treatment and our, our, our children were in bad shape, like, like stuff that really puts you in a panic, like emergency room. I, I, was, I thought they were going to like create a room with my name on it at the emergency room. That's how frequently we're there. We sit down with this doctor. We drive up to New Jersey, and the doctor says, yeah, it's going to be $10,000 for this treatment. And I was like, oh, my, I don't have $10,000. And we're driving back home from New Jersey. I'm just, I'm like anxious and nervous the whole ride and get home. This was a Tuesday. Wednesday is the day we pay our tithes. And I come to this moment and I was just like, we, I have to come up with $10,000. Do I, do I give tithe? Do I pay my tithes? And I was like, you know what? Either God is who he said he is and he's going to do what he said he's going to do or he's not. I pay tithes that day in the mail. Some friends of ours, there's a young couple that we discipled in Dallas. We, we stay in touch every once in a while, but they had no idea what was going on with our kids. They wrote us a letter and they said, we just felt led by the Lord to send you some support. We know the general contours, y'all got stuff going on with the kids. And we just wanted to be a blessing to you. And it was a check for $10,000. And I said, don't tell me what my guy won't do. Yeah, I was like, oh, <laughs> yes. 
My God will supply all your needs. Listen, I got so many stories like that. I want you to have stories like that. To give like you believe that Jesus got out of the grave, that he is a provider, that he's true to his promises. Test him and see the mission of this church explode. You might not fit in this place next year. Can you believe that? Can you see that? There is nothing too hard for God. He is a provider. He loves Silicon Valley more than you ever could. And he's at work. He's blessing. He's saving. He's redeeming. He's transforming. He's renewing. And he wants you to join him in that work. And as you join him, he wants you to have confidence that he will supply everything you need for this mission. And how can you know that? Because that is who God has revealed himself to be all through the scriptures. That's why when Paul gets to the gospel and 2 Corinthians challenging the Corinthians to give like the Philippians, that's why he says, you remember the grace of our Lord Jesus, who though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you who were poor might become rich. That is the gospel paradigm. If God would give you his best while you were at your worst, how much more can he be trusted now that you have been brought into the family of God to meet your needs? You don't need to worry about your housing situation. I know Silicon Valley is expensive. You don't need to worry. You join in the mission now. And the, the one who's faithful with little can be trusted to be faithful with much. God will meet your needs. You don't have to fret. God is going to bless your mission as you continue to lay yourselves out in faith for the good of his church and the good of your neighbors. Here's the paradigm. When God's people serve God's mission, we will always have God's supply. When God's people participate in God's mission, we always have God's supply couple little tweetables. If it's God's will, it's God's bill. If it's God's will, it's God's bill. Where God guides, God provides. And there are things that he has clearly said he is guiding you into as his people. There are clear and specific expressions of the will of the Lord, and it's his will for you, and it's his will for this congregation that you would joyfully participate in the work of mission. And the last thing I'm gonna leave you with is one more illustration. So early on in my church plant, I w I, like I told you, I was grinding, grinding. Okay, y'all don't know Pharrell. Okay, all right, it's all good, it's all good. Some, some, some hit, some miss, it's all good, right? <laughs> so I was grinding, I was working, I was working my tail off. Uh, I was busier than a dog with 100 fleas, as they say in Texas. Um, and my wife, at the time, had an Amazon habit. I'm still working with her on that. <laughs> Every day I came to the door, there were Amazon boxes at the door. And this one particular day, early on in the church plant, this Amazon box comes to the door. It was a big old Amazon box. And I was like, this is either going to be really light or this is going to break my back. And I opened the door and I went to pick it up and I was like, hee. 
see that I lifted the thing up. And our, our daughter, Tiana, who was four or five at the time, she's, I'm straining under the weight of this box. She comes running up and she goes, I'll help you, daddy. And she slaps her hand on the side of the box and then she walks like this. <laughs> now I'm straining, I'm the one bearing all the weight of it. She slaps her hand on and says, I'm helping daddy. And right in that moment, I was like, oh, this is what I'm doing in ministry. The Lord is doing the heavy lifting. And I slapped my hand on it and said, I'm helping, Daddy. I'm helping, Daddy. I'm helping to plant this church. You know what? It's such a relief to know that the Lord is doing the heavy lifting. It's the Lord who changes hearts. That's not your responsibility to try and change people's hearts. You can't argue people into the kingdom. Your responsibility is to give them a taste. That's what the church is. The church is supposed to be a foretaste of glory. The church is supposed to be a little bit of heaven a long way from home. When we live into the virtues and the ethics of the Christian life, we give people a little taste. It's like this. Okay, for real, for real, last story. All right. So I love going to the mall. Not because I like shopping. There's this magical place in the mall called the food court. <laughs> and there are, there are these wonderful people who are standing in the food court holding trays like this. And I usually will walk past and I'll say, hmm, what do we have here? Bourbon chicken? And they're like, would you like to try some bourbon chicken, sir? And I'm like, well, don't mind if I do. And then I take some of the bourbon chicken and I start walking. And, I'm, and it always hits me about three steps after I take it. I'm like, mm, that's good. And then I circle around the, 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 the food court, and because I look like I'm ambiguously brown, I got that Target ad look, you know, I just can fit in. People don't know, who are you? Are you my people? I'm like, I'm your people, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I walk around the food court, and I come back around it, and I come back to the bourbon chicken lady, and I say, hola, como estas? Que es eso? <laughs> and she looks at me like, didn't I just see you? I'm like, see, no say. Like, I'm like, oh. Mmm, delicioso, que rico, okay. And then, and then I, I, I come back around the third time and I say, assalamu alaikum, you know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> now, now, listen, listen, why are those people standing out there in front in the food court? Here's why they're out there. They want you to get a little taste so that you'll want to come in and get the real thing. We are supposed to be a little taste of glory so that our neighbors experience our love, our neighbors experience our mercy, our neighbors experience our generosity and our kindness, our vitality, and they say, mm, I want the whole thing for myself. I want to be in the kingdom. I want to live in union with Christ. I want to have his provision and connection and protection. I want Jesus. That's our call, is to be Jesus' people in the world. Live into the fullness of God's promises. Live into the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his spirit. Trust that Jesus is at work in your place, that he is going to use you, that he's going to bless you. And if you feel him calling you to a particular course of action, do not fear the consequences. Walk in obedience even when you don't know where obedience will lead you. Trust the Lord's provision. And my God will supply all your needs according to the riches of his glorious grace. So keep pressing on in faith and in hope and in love. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We are so grateful for your generosity and kindness to us in Jesus. Lord, we believe that you're our provider, but help our unbelief. Lord, I pray that there would be countless stories that 
emerge from this community in the coming weeks, months, and years about the ways in which they trusted you, they stepped out in faith, and they saw you do unbelievable things. Lord, I pray that you would encourage your saints, help them to be a profound, to continue to be a profound and beautiful witness to Grace Silicon Valley so that for their neighbors, Jesus becomes more believable and more beautiful to them. I pray your grace and your protection and your fullness over them. And I pray for the pastors and the ministry staff and leaders and elders and deeks of this church that you would give them a spirit of love and unity and that they would lead with integrity and that this congregation would know just how much these leaders love them and how deeply they are for them and want to see them flourish and thrive in Jesus. And I pray that this this community would be protected from the evil one and from divisions and polarization, that they would be a beautiful counter witness relative to the things that are happening in the world. Bless them, keep them, make your face shine on them and be gracious to them. Lift up your countenance on them and give them peace. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.